All right, so here's the new sermon series. It's the most stupendous sermon series of the year so far. <laughs> Got to drop so far in, right? I mean, it's the, it's the most stupendous one that, that you've ever heard up, up to this time. And uh, it's, it's about, uh, we're going to be talking about really like le leaning on superlatives as far as the best, the most awesome, the greatest, the number ones. You're going to hear, we're going to talk about five number ones in this sermon series over the next five weeks. Five number ones in specific categories. And today we begin with the worst sinner. Okay, we're going to talk about the worst sinner. And uh, some of you know who that is? Y'all quit looking around. It's nobody in this room. Okay, but the worst sinner. The worst sinner who ever lived according to his own mouth. Let me take you there, okay? The scripture. Worst sinner according to his own mouth. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The apostle Paul writes, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. Paul himself, he claims the prize. Nobody gives it to him. He claims it himself. He says, I am the worst sinner. Anybody ever felt like you were the worst sinner? Now, sometimes you go through those times. You go through really tough times where, yeah, you just blew it. You fell on your face. Some of you fell on your face in 2014. Some of you blew it so bad, so, so exponentially bad. I mean, we don't even have words to describe how bad you messed up in 2014. Okay, now, no, don't y'all you know, get too high and mighty for the rest of us because we all do that. We all blow it so bad. There are no words to describe how bad we messed up. And so what Paul does, he said, let me tell you something. Of all the sinners in the world that Christ died for, I am the worst one of all of them. Of all the sinners who have ever lived and will ever live, Paul says, I am the worst. How bad was he? You know, aren't you glad, you know, Paul, man, his whole life, I mean, he just kind of lays it out there for all of us. Aren't you glad nobody's asking that question? Well, tell us how bad you were. You know, especially the, now those gossips. Let me tell you something. Somebody that wants to know all that stuff normally wants to know it because they like to share it. Okay, so don't tell those people those kinds of things, right? I mean, somebody wants to know all that stuff, but Paul says, let me tell you how bad I was. And I'm glad he does. I'm glad Paul tells us how bad he was because it, sometimes it makes me feel not so bad, you know, when I've messed up. Right, let's, let's look at how bad Paul was. How bad was he? He was the most antagonistic, 1 Timothy 1, 13. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. And go ahead, yeah. And listen, let me remind you of this. These are his words, okay? He says this about himself. He was the meanest. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's Acts chapter 9, the first part of verse 1. And that verse goes on to show how sly he was, that he went to the high priest and asked, Ask him for letters, some permission, basically, to, to go on. Let's go on. Uh, Acts chapter 9, the, verse, the last of verse 2, he was the most cold-hearted. And when he found men or women who were following Jesus Christ, he might take them as prisoners. Men, women, he didn't care. He was cold-hearted. Most self-righteous. He said that he had come here. This is 9, verse 13 and 14, the book of Acts. He has come here with authority from the chief priests, as if that meant anything. You know, he was very self-righteous. Yet he was also the most guilty, Acts 8 and 1. Saul approved of their killing uh, Stephen. He approved of those that were, that were killing others uh, in the name of, 
uh, those who were following the name of Jesus. He was the most heartless. He went from house to house, this is Acts 8 and 3, dragging out men and women. And he even chased them or ran them down in foreign cities. He was the most misguided, Acts 26 and 9, and, and thought it was his duty to do many of these things against the church of, of Jesus Christ, against them. He thought it was his duty to bring these hostilities, so he's the most misguided and the most hateful, Acts 26 and 10. When they were put to death, Paul says, I cast my vote against them too. I voted for Christians to be put to death. And Acts 26, 11 says he was the most brutal, torturing them in the synagogues. He tortured them and, and tried, to, tried to get them to uh, denounce the name of Jesus and hunted them down in the foreign cities. And then he was the most cruel. Acts 22, verse 4, he says, I persecuted the followers of this way, talking about those who followed Jesus Christ. I persecuted them even to their death. This is how bad Paul was. So it doesn't make you feel a little bit better to read all that because you hadn't done any of that, right? You hadn't voted for anybody to die because of their religion. You hadn't voted for, for any of those kinds. Of, you hadn't drug anybody. You know, think about it. He went into houses and he drug moms away from their little children and threw them into prison, some of them taking them and, and accusing them of things worthy of death and even voting to put them to death. This is who Paul was. I kind of, I, I kind of think... God for this picture that we can see of Paul. So, you know, not just so we can say, oh, well, if he was that bad, then I'm in pretty good shape. Not, not, not so we can become a, a little self-righteous ourselves, but so that we can see how far God's love can reach. Because there is another part of the story. I thank God it doesn't end there. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, in your own life, thank God it doesn't end there. Because we've all got that place in our life that we've come to that we realize, man, we have really blown it and messed up. Thank God. It doesn't end with the story of how bad we were. And there's a but. And let's go back to that very first, the very first verse that, that I kind of threw at you there about how bad uh, Paul was when he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. You remember that one we read just a few months ago? This is First Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, in the past, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, but thank God for the but. Thank God for the nevertheless that is in scripture. Thank God for the even though. Thank God for, for all of the bad, but, but then, but the mercies of God. Uh, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in my unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed toward me along with the faith and love that are in the Messiah, Jesus. Look what he says, but, but grace, but mercy. He, he talks about, I received mercy, but uh, I received the grace of our Lord. It overflowed toward me more than, more than I, I deserve along with faith and love that are in the Messiah, Jesus. All of those things. So, so here's where we're at right now, okay? Before I tell you everything that God want you to know about you know, the, the life of Paul, how it impacts you and how it impacts this future, this 2015 that we're looking at. Here's what, what I want you to note. I want you to note, note, note two things here. I want you to know how bad we are does not matter. How bad you've been. I mean, if, uh, there's nobody in this room that could compare. Your, your center resume cannot compare to Paul's center resume. It, what, what matters is not how bad you've been. But let me tell you this. What matters also is not the grace of God. As amazing as it is, overflowed toward me, even with the love that is in Jesus, the faith that is there, even that is not what matters. It's not how bad you've been and not how great God is, even though God 
is supremely awesome. His supreme love, he is all, that still isn't what, you know what matters? It's not how bad you've been or how good God is. It's your attitude toward those things. And your understanding of how bad you are and how good he is and your acceptance of that in that I need a savior. I need a deliverer. I need a redeemer. I need someone who can save me from myself. I don't know how many times I've heard that just over the past couple of weeks. God saves us from ourselves. We needed that, didn't we? We didn't, we didn't just need to be saved from the world or saved from the devil or saved. We need to be saved from ourselves. And so the real, the, the real question here is not how bad you've been. It's not how great God is. It's what are you going to do with it right now? What are you going to do with it? And Paul, he found himself in that same place. As bad as he was, confronted with this awesome, wonderful, loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious God. And he had to make a decision. What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? God gives us new, or gives us the opportunity of new. Here we are, 2015, the opportunity of new. What are we going to do with it? Here's what he did with, here's what he did with Paul. You might not know, but Paul's name was actually Saul, and that's what he was known for up through the first 11, 12, 13 chapters of the book of Acts. Then all of a sudden we see this guy named Paul. But I'm glad that we've got chapter 13, verse 9 of the book of Acts because it tells us these are the same guy. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Saul was a Jewish name and Paul was a Roman name. And the way we understand it, he was really known by both. But when he was really fighting for the Jewish way of life and the, Jew, the, the, the Jewish religion and really fighting for that and, and, and crucifying and destroying and tearing apart the Christian church the best he could, he was called Saul because that was who I'm identifying with. I, I, I am working hard for this Jewish faith and this Jewish walk of life. And, and that, that's, but then all of a sudden, he gets this opportunity to start fresh. And when he does, he begins to leave behind this, this identity of yesterday and this identity of what always was and this identity of persecution and, and coming against and challenging the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, now I'm identifying with them. He identified with them because now he started calling himself Paul. Whether, you know, some people say, no, he actually changed his name. It doesn't appear that he did. But either way, what it's saying here is it's showing us he made a decision to no longer be identified with the persecution and the evil that he'd done. He was a bad guy. He says, I was the worst of all sinners. But now what he's choosing is he is choosing to have a new him, a new name, a new, a, a new life. That, because that's what God's given him is a, is a new start as, as God gives us new starts. You see, here, here's, here's another thing you need to embrace. It's today we get to start a, a year fresh and new. But it's not just your circumstances or your situations or your problems or the people around you who need to change. You need change. Can somebody say amen? I mean, don't I? I need change. I mean, you know, it, it's really easy to point the finger and say, but if, you know, if I didn't have the boss I have, if I didn't have the spouse I had, if I didn't have the kids I had, if I hadn't been raised by the parents I had, if I... It's easy to point our fingers, but you need change. 
Because even if it was your parents that did that to you, and even if it was somebody in the family that did something horrible to you back when you were a child, and even if it, if, if it is your boss who is doing still this is impacting you, and, and, and still if it is created in you an attitude, or you know whether it's a, an attitude of negativism or an attitude of defeatism or whatever it is, you still need change. And he gives you that. It's not, it's not that God says you're a bad person and you better change. I mean, that's, that's the way a lot of sermons come across, right? Is you're a bad person and you need change. No, just really think about it. I want things to be different in 2015. A lot of you need things to be different in 2015. And the only way that happens is when you also get change. You need change. And I want to prove to you that God knew that when he created you. Because right before he created Adam and Eve, you know what he did? He created cycles. He created the lights and he separated the lights and he called the, 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 uh, the light day and he called the darkness night. And he set them in motion so that they, so every, every 24 hours you and I get to wake up to a new day. And yesterday is done with and yesterday has passed away and all my mistakes of yesterday are gone. God created that. And, and when he put the earth in motion going around the sun and, and tilting it on an axis and twisting it, you know, rotating it, he created seasons so that even the earth gets seasons that go through. So now, now spring is, it will be a new time for, for the world to, to blossom again. He, he gives us new years and he even created sabbatical. You, you know what the sabbatical year was? It was a year where you had to just, just let the ground rest. He even, even created that and he created the Sabbath. And, and uh, I know we, sometimes we, we argue a lot about what we should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. But God created the Sabbath. And think about what he was doing. He, he wasn't just creating that. He wasn't creating it for him. He was creating it for us. Mankind was not made to fit the Sabbath. Sabbath was made to fit the man. That's what Jesus said. You know why? Because he knew you needed a weekend. Did you get that? God created weekends. Oh, somebody else say, yay, God. Thank God for weekends. Every, you know, T-G-I-F, you know, some people have a problem with that because it sounds like they're just kind of, you know, just throwing the name of God out, like using it in vain. No, you know what you need to, you really need to thank God it's Friday because God created weekends because he knew that you needed to stop every once in a while, unplug and, and renew yourself, refresh. God created that because he knew you needed a new start and he knew you needed a new road. Okay, so here, let's really get into what God wants to do for us this year. Paul was walking down a road when, when, when this, this thing happened to him, when he came face to face. He thought he was following God, and God said, no, you're not following me. You're attacking me. Jesus said, I'm the one that you're attacking. You think you're attacking the Christian church, but you're attacking me. And, and this is in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 6, that he's then told by God, now get up and go into the city. He gave him a new road. He was headed down one road, but God gave him a new road. In actuality, he followed the same road but there was a different destination at the end because he was headed a little bit different. He got, he got to, when he got to Damascus, instead of going in the direction where he was planning on going to the city of Damascus, he, he said, let me tell you where to go. Now go into the city. And he sent him into the city. He gave him a new road. Do you know what's at the end of your road? Have you ever thought about what's at the end of your road? You know, there was a story I, I, I ran across a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, it's kind of, I, I, like, I like some of the stories of explorers and things, and, and this was one. This was in the 1996 uh, Mount Everest disaster. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about that or not, but, 
But it was, the, it was the most deadly day on Mount Everest. More people died that day on Mount Everest, partly because there was a storm nobody saw coming, partly because there were too many people trying to climb to the top at once, and, and they kind of got, uh, got in a, a bottleneck, a log jam, trying to go up the same ropes and things, getting to the top. But there was one guy, Andy Harrison, he was one of the guides that was with one of the groups that was going up. And he, he went up to the top, and, and, it, and it was a long day getting there, and, and they kind of had this, this turnaround time of 2 p.m. that if you don't turn around and start down, you will not get down in time, and you'll have to spend the night on the mountain. So at 2 p.m., you got to get down there. But they, they had delays getting up there, too many people, and they had delays. And so Andy, he stayed at the top trying to help people get up those, those, last, you know, those last 20, 30 yards. He, he had to help them go down and come up and go down, come up, and try to help people get up those last 20, 30 yards. There's not a lot, lot of oxygen there. You, you begin to get disoriented. You begin to lose uh, kind of even track of time. And here's what happened to Andy. It, is, is he was oxygen his, was depleting within his body. His mind was playing tricks on him. And he really needed oxygen really bad. He had been up there too long and, and he went past that 2 p.m. to be able to get down and the storm began coming in. And so I, I got to get oxygen, got to get oxygen. And he went and he found because they had, they had stashed some oxygen canisters and he went and found those so he could get some oxygen. And when he got there, even though they had oxygen in them, in, in his oxygen deprived state, he was looking at this, this, this thing that he needed more than anything in the world right now. He needed what was inside this canister. And yet his, his, his his mind was telling him it's empty and he, he told people he said oh they're empty don't don't mess with don't worry with them we got to do something and, and they were looking at him and said, no they're not empty feel it one one man he said I felt of them he said there, there was oxygen and you could tell there was oxygen but Andy in his deprived oxygen deprived state he could not see that and he ended up continuing disoriented and went kind of went down and got some oxygen and brought back up and just and, and and they never found Andy's body he passed away there on the side of that mountain right around the stuff that he needed and sometimes we all get to that place where the very thing we need we don't see even though it's right there in front of us that even 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 God with all the help that we need, and he's right there in front of us, and it's the thing that, we're, that our, our bodies and our souls and our hearts are, are so starved for. Yet because we've been so starved for him for so long, and sometimes we, we don't even recognize this, this, this is what we need, and it's right here. It, it's not in a far and distant place. It's not somewhere I've gotta go fight for. It's right here. It's right before you today, and it's right before you every day. The very thing you need to get through, this, 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 this new road that God wants to give you, You've, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's at the end of the road? You've got to think about that. What's at the end of this road? You've got to think about, you, you've got to pull your wits together and, and, and not, be, not be so distracted by everything around you. Pull your wits together and say, wait a minute, what's at the end of this road? Because let me tell you this, the road matters. The road matters. Can I get you to do something? Can I get you to just whisper that to yourself? Said, just whisper, the road matters. The road matters. See, there's a lot of people living today like the road doesn't matter. What matters is where I end up in life. The, the road doesn't matter. The problem is the road is what determines where you end up in life. You can't just choose any road and get where you want to be in life. You have to ask the question, what is this road going to get me to? The things you're doing in your life, the decisions that you're making, the mistakes that you're making. The, the, the way that you're, you're choosing to live your life, what is the end result? You need to ask that because the road matters. In 2015, the road is going to matter. And eventually, you're going to get to that place where you're going to realize 
man, the road mattered more than I knew because now I've ended up a place I did not want to end up. And you know what? If you don't know where the road ends, if you can't look into the future, if you can't, if you can't pull all your wits together, if you're a little bit lost like Andy Harris was and, and can't really figure out, wait a minute, I, I really don't know where the light, if you don't know, can I guarantee, can I tell you, I can guarantee you this, that your road's going to end up in a place you don't want to be. You need to know what is the destination. Every, every financial expert will tell you the same thing. You need to be looking at what you're doing with your money. And if, and if you do not know, if, you're not, if you don't have plans and you do not know exactly where you plan to be, you will not end up where you want to be. The same thing goes for every decision in your life. Do you know where the road's leading? Do you know the destination? If you don't know, God, God wants to give you the road. He wants to lay it out for you because God also gives us new direction. The last half of that verse says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Jeff, I, I, I tweeted one of Jeff's quotes in the middle of service last week. I hope y'all didn't think that I was texting or, or checking out Facebook, you know what, but I was, I was actually tweeting one of Jeff's quotes last week. If the people around you don't tell you things that you don't want to, if the people around you never tell you things you don't want to hear, then you need some different people around you. You need, you need some different people around you. Saul was told something by God he didn't want to hear. He was told, you are fighting me instead of working with me. We all need to hear things that we don't want to hear sometimes. I didn't get an amen there. Anybody say an amen in your spirit anyway? We all need to hear things that we don't want to hear sometimes. We need somebody to tell us because, you know, it's real easy to, to get so positive about yourself. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. You need somebody every once in a while to say, how many, of, how many of you, could you agree with me? That's what we need. Are you ready for it? Can I tell you something you need to hear this morning? Can I tell you something you might not want to hear, but you need to hear? Let me ask you. It's, this, it's a question. It's in the form of a question. How long has it been since you have been uncomfortable with culture? So that's one of the best ways for you to figure out if you're walking down the right road or not. See, if you're so comfortable with culture, and Jeff read us that scripture last week from the book of, uh, of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and, and he read it from the message, which, man, just blew me away. Uh, the message is kind of, a, it's, it kind of, you know, expounds upon the scripture, doesn't just give us the scripture. And, 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 and what it said about there is if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll become so, so connected with the world, we will just fit into the world and not even realize it just like Andy Harris. We'll just kind of begin to fit in and, and, and to fit into the, whatever our, our, our minds are telling us because now we're oxygen deprived or God deprived or whatever and we'll begin to just fit in and we won't even know it and we won't even realize it. And, 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 we, and we need some new direction. We need somebody to tell us, how long has it been? Let's put it a little more detail. How long has it been since you turned off a TV program? You know? Because it didn't match with some of the the beliefs that you have. How long has it been since you walked out of a, of a movie theater because, oh, wait a minute, uh, I, I can't put this stuff into me. How long has it been since you rented a movie but then you couldn't watch it because of some things like that? How long has it been since you ended a toxic friendship that was pulling you away from God instead of raising you up closer to him? This, this, this week we had some interesting, interesting uh, uh, dialogue, I guess you could say, going on on Facebook. And, and I really love the, the one of the things that I, I ended with, with, with an article that I wrote on my blog this week was, was from uh, 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 Paxton, uh, Jeffrey J. Paxton. 
And he said, he said, what the scripture is saying more than anything, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He said, what it is saying is, we need to let go of the things that are keeping us from embracing God and gra- grasping the truth, and we need to start reaching for the things that help us grasp the truth and hang on to God. That's what it's all about. How long has it been since you, you had to, how long has it been, this one question, since you felt out of sync with your culture? You see, because if you, if you feel, man, I mean, I don't have any problem with culture. If you don't have any problem with the culture that is in our world today, the things that are going on in our world today, th- there's a serious issue that you have. We can't walk away from it, totally disconnect, and not connect with people because the people of our culture need to be reached. But when Christians never feel the pull and the drag, when you can watch the news and you hear about a three-week-old baby in the news this past week, you see it? When you can watch the news and, and you, can, you can hear about a child who was molested, kidnapped, molested, raped, murdered. When you can watch the news and, and, you, and you can see people so disoriented is not a strong enough term, but so confused in their thinking, in their thoughts, that they, they can't see the God of grace and mercy right before them. When you can watch the news and you see everything that's going on in the news and you don't cry anymore, that's a concern for me. That if I can watch the news and I can hear a story, listen, I have to turn them off sometimes. I have to turn them, not, not because I don't want to know, it's because my heart can't hurt that much right now. Give me enough, God, to keep me hurting but not so much, and sometimes I, it's, it's too much to bear, and I have to turn it off and go to prayer. How long has it been since you have felt out of sync with your culture? I, I, I'm, I'm telling you honestly, the way the things are in this world, in our culture today, you are going to, by default as a Christian, become more and more out of sync with your culture. You're going to have to make decisions that that take you in a different direction and put you on a different road and give you a new start. And if you want that new start, I mean, we hadn't said it in a while, have we? But what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I mean, if you want 2015 to be greater than 2014, then you got to do something different in 2015. And if the world is going farther and farther away, from who God is, then it stands to reason, does it not? That you, as a Christian following God, are gonna be more and more out of sync every single day that you live with your culture. And if it doesn't happen, then we need to stop back up and say, wait a minute, something isn't right here. There's purpose in this, and I, I need to hurry, but there's purpose in this. Let me go on to, because it's the new anointing and the new mission. Because when, when Paul gets to the place God sent him, Ananias comes to him and he lays his hands on him and he prays, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has, me, has sent me so that you may be, see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, here's what happened, is, is, is that God gave him a new anointing and a new mission. And the passion that Paul had, that he was out and he, and he was persecuting the church and he was dragging them to prison and he was voting for them to be stoned to death and, and killed, that passion that he had, God didn't destroy the passion. God didn't take the, God redirected the passion. 
and the passions that you have and the desires that you have and the wants that you have. One of our core values around here at 2911 is that everybody has something awesome to do for Jesus. And a lot of times what you're going to find is the passion that you had in a life before Jesus is just going to be, it's just going to be turned into something new. It's the, same, it's the same passion, but just turned into something new. Now, some of you, you know, you were passionate about some things that just, just do not fit anywhere in the kingdom of God, right? I mean, sometimes that happens. But many of us, we find that the passion and the drive and the desire, just like Paul, his passion was to defend God. But here's the problem. As he was defending a yesterday, he wasn't really defending God. He was defending tradition, he wasn't really defending God. He was defending the way that God had used to bring them to this point. But now Jesus Christ had showed up. Grace, mercy, love, total, complete forgiveness, deliverance from sin, freedom, and liberty. All of these things. But instead, Paul wanted to hang on to that. And he was defending the yesterday, even at the point of putting Christians to death. God said, that's what I've got to change in you. He left for passion. You know what's so awesome about passionate people is they get things done. If you're a passionate person, God doesn't want to take that away from you. He wants to change that. What are you passionate about? He wants to change that into a passion for his, for his life. We're passionate about so many things. What are you passionate about? You know, if you're passionate about college football, then you're like Paul. He said, I'd be of all men most miserable. I meant today, if you're passionate about college football, you're probably pretty miserable this morning because it was a rough week, wasn't it? For most of us here in the SEC West, it was a rough week. If you're passionate about the wrong things, you're going to be let down all the time. What God wants to do is he wants to take that passion and he wants to put it into something that'll make a difference in the lives of people around you. You've got a vision, you've got a mission, you've got a passion, and, and God wants to give you a new anointing. Last, last thing right here is a new battle. Uh, here's, here's what happened to Paul, because Paul was called by God. You gotta let go of that, Paul. You're passionate, but you're passionate about the wrong thing. So what Paul did is now he begins to, the new name, the new start. He begins to identify with this new church that is growing. And he chooses this new church. And so you know what happens? His old enemies, the ones that he was working against, they are now his family. And his old friends, they now launch attacks against him. Acts chapter 9 verse 23 says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill Paul. His old friends conspired to kill him because he became Christian. And the point up here that the church matters. Let me tell you why the church matters. The church matters because you need the church. Yes, church, church matters because, hey, if I'd shown up today and none of you had shown up, I'd be standing here all by myself and say, oh, yeah, that'd probably been a downer for you, pastor. Yes, it would have been a downer, but that's not the reason I needed the church today. Yes, I did need you here today because I need your encouragement. I, I love hearing your stories. I've heard praise report this morning. I love hearing your stories. I need that. And you need it as well. Here's the real point. The reason the church matters. Wait a minute. Let's pause there for just a second. The church matters. The road matters. Yes. And the church matters. The road, the path that God puts you on matters. And the church matters. I had you whisper the road matters. I want you to, I want you to do that. Whisper to yourself, right? Would you do that with me? Would you whisper the church matters? Tell yourself that the church matters. 
the church matters. I want to tell you why the church matters, but I want you to really get the church matters. And, and, and in, this, in this world that we live in right now, even, even the Christian world, the, the church culture that we live in today, it, more and more people are saying, well, the church doesn't really matter. You can go to heaven without attending church on Sunday morning. Listen, there's a whole lot of stuff you can probably get away with. There might be some things that you can sweep under the rug, whatever, but is that really what you're trying to do? I mean, I thought you wanted 2015 to really be different. If it's going to be different, then you've got to do something different. And you need to understand the church matters. And here's the reason the church matters. The church matters because you're the church, <laughs> not the building. That's not what matters. It's not, it's not the place that we meet, and it's not 1030 a.m. that is holy and sanctified. And, oh, and, no, the church matters because you are the church. I am the we are the church. That's why it matters. And there's some things we do on Sunday morning that we can't do any other time. In just a few moments, if you're a first-time attender, we like to close right here in the front. For a little while, we had to stop doing that, and we had people say, oh, we love doing that. You know why we love doing that? Because it's like the closest we get together as a church, all together. We like to be in the, and have this closing. We try to squeeze everything we can into this hour and 15, 20 minutes that we have together on Sunday morning because it's all we've got. It matters because you are the church. That's why when you're not here, it matters to the rest of us because you're the church. I need you. And when you're not here, I'm missing a part of who I am. I love Tommy Gibbs and his attitude. Tommy was sick last weekend, couldn't be with us. He was so glad he was going to be able to be back this Sunday. Yesterday, we were talking about several things for this service and, and the setting up. He was supposed to be running the, 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 the presentation this morning. And he texted this morning, texted me and Jamie this morning and, and apologized and apologized and apologized that the sickness he had last week has come back on him. And he, was, and he said, I, I just hate to let you guys down. I love that. Ad, let us, because he gets it. He gets it that it's not, it's not a to-do list that I got to check off and be there or I'm going to hell if I don't show up at church. It's that somebody else is counting on him. We got a sweet, precious little lady that, that attends this church. You know what? Let me tell you about her. Let me tell you something about her you may not know. She told me this several months ago. She says, you know what? I show up on Sunday mornings to gather all the hugs I can gather, and I just think about them all week long, and they get me through my week. The church matters because you are the church to that sweet, precious lady. The church matters because there, there's a lady here today whose mom if the doctors are right, her, her mom is only going to be with us two or three more days. You know what? She didn't need to come to an empty room today. She needed to be in the middle of her church. The church matters because we are the church. And, and Paul be, began to realize, wait a minute, look at this. They're attacking me. I need these people that I have just allied myself with, this Christian church. He said, I really need them now. And you know what they did is they surrounded him. He had killed, no doubt, some of their brothers or aunts, uncles, and cousins. But as soon as he, as soon as he repented, they, they embraced him. They surrounded him because they were the church. And he realized how much he needed the church. In 2015, let me tell you something. The church is going to matter to you. And the worse this world gets the more the church will matter. And you need to recognize that. Let me ask you, will you join us in this last moment? Let's stand and come to the front. I've got one last little thing to share with you. One last little thing. If you're a first-time attender, 
please join us if you will. We, we just like to, I got one last little point. We'll have a prayer, sing a last song together. We like doing this as a closing. It's the last thing we get to do as a whole church body this week. And we just try, I, I, guess, I guess this is kind of like just wringing every little bit of it out we can. Let's get every little thing we can out of being together today. Uh, we have prayer team members surrounding you pretty much. They've got like a little lanyard on. And uh, it says prayer on it. What matters today is not that you heard a message. What matters today is not that you obeyed me and came down to the front. What matters today is if you will say, I need this. I need, I need, I need this. And Paul was our example. He even told Timothy, in a, in a letter he wrote to Timothy, we, we call it First Timothy, he even told Timothy, he said, I am the example. He said, I, he said, I believe God made me the example so every woman know how awesome the grace of God was. The worst sinner I am, God made me the example so people would know. That's what Paul said. He was the example. Let me show, let me show you this uh, last little verse here. It's, uh, uh, it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of, who he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul wrote these words. And you understand that when I say, if you're not a Christian today, let 2015 begin differently by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not just talking about you need to be forgiven of your sins because you are not standing right before God today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need so much more than just the forgiveness of sins because there's so much more that is offered. Are you seeing, I don't know if it's happening, I'm looking and I'm seeing, you seeing these little heads bob, bobbing? You know why these people are shaking their heads? They're like Paul, they said, I'm the example. So go ahead, you can shake your head, that's a good amen if you want to. I'm the example, yes, that I needed more than just forgiveness of sins. I needed what Paul was talking about here because he didn't say I came to Jesus so I could just be forgiven. Look what he said, he said he rescued. I needed to be rescued. I needed to be rescued from myself. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, this culture that is, that is creeping into our lives and into our families. And if you've not been on the world long enough, you might not notice as much of the creeping as some of us that have been. It's pretty creepy, the creeping that's happening. Let me tell you. And he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves the kingdom of light. He's brought us into that. Thank God. There's a liberty. There's a freedom that is there in whom we have redemption. We have been bought back. And oh, yes, we have the forgiveness of sins. There is so much more than just the forgiveness, though. It is the whole thing. It is the whole thing. And I, I invite you, please, this morning to embrace the forgiveness of sins. Embrace today. The rescue, he wants, to, he wants to rescue you in 2015. He wants to rescue you from the 2014 that you had. He wants to rescue you from yourself. He wants to rescue you from the dominion of darkness that is still trying to destroy who you are, your marriage, your kids, your future, your education, your finances, all those things. He wants to destroy that. He wants to rescue, but God wants to rescue you from that dominion of darkness. Your enemy wants to destroy you, but God wants to rescue you from that dominion of darkness. If you'll close your eyes with me and bow for just a moment, I want to pray with you. And I'll ask you this morning if you...